Welcome to Best Bad Movie Ever, a podcast about terrible movies and the people who love them, with your hosts, Tom Ryman and David Christopher Bell. Okay, well hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Best Bad Movie Ever, the show about terrible films and the people who love them. I'm your co-host, Tom Ryman. Hey, I'm David Bell, the other host. And with us today, we have Sandra Sorensen. Hi, guys. Thanks well, for having me. Sandra, of course. Yeah. Tom, you sound so angry. <laughs> Tell people what Tell happened. Tell people what So we, they uh, understand the tone of this we, episode. Uh, we recorded this episode moments ago for about an hour. Mm. And then Adam comes in and says, oh, shit, it hasn't been recording. And I thought he was kidding. But he wasn't kidding. Like, how can this happen? It recorded about nine minutes and 45 seconds and then, <laughs> and just, then just decided apparently nope. stopped on its own, which it's never done. Did but, I bring a movie that is so bad yes. and so laborious to watch that, like, what, whatever we're using to record just gave up the program? It's just like, I can't. It with could this. be. Yeah. Computer, oh, I think the computer committed suicide. It's entirely possible I'm in hell right now. <laughs> no, it's just purgatory. It Don't won't let me it. leave. The movie won't let me leave. Nope. It won't let any of us leave. We're all atoning for something at this table, I think. Yeah, it's like lost if they all had to watch (laughs) Streets of Fire over and over again, which is the film you brought, right? Streets of Fire is the film I brought, yeah. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie? Give us like a plot synopsis. Okay, so Streets of Fire is a meatloaf-esque rock and roll fable. Uh, <laughs> is it though? <laughs> We're gonna examine that. They, that's the first thing. The first title card they show us after the film's actual title is a rock and roll fable. It is absolutely, which is nonsense. Nonsense. It's a stretch. So um, basically, this movie, it's a mishmash of genres, and one of the things that they say it is is a musical. And here's why it's sort of not a musical. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, they made it a musical because Flashdance did super well, and there's a lot of. Uh, songs in that. And it's, I think you're about to point this out, but it's only sort of, it's not really a musical. It has musical performances. <laughs> I'm going to say it. it's sort of not a musical in the sense that it's not a musical. <laughs> right. Well, so in a lot of musicals, you have non-diegetic songs. So those are songs that um, a character performs when they're in love or they're sad, and it's not, the character wouldn't know that they're singing. Right. It's like the in- character's internal monologue. Yeah. And a diegetic song is what we have, or diegetic songs is what we have in this film. And what they're arguing makes it a musical, which is um, a very young Diane Lane named Ellen Aim. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very much like Pat Benatar. and She's Pat Benatar by way of Meatloaf. Yeah, it's This amazing. Meatloaf thing, by the way, I have this note written down where I wrote verbatim, this is like if Meatloaf tried to make Purple Rain and then decided he didn't want to be in it anymore. Exactly. And then I researched this film and found out that Jim Steinman wrote the two big songs in the film, who is Meatloaf's writer. So I was like, oh, well, at least they they successfully conveyed the Meatloaf portion I mean, of this that's, film. When I talk to people about this film, which I do a lot, um, that comes up a lot, mm. the Meatloaf comparison. and it So those two songs bookend the film, and then the background music is done by Ry Cooter, who I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Mm-mm. He does a lot of really cool like chill guitar twang in the back. But anyway, so Streets of Fire is a it takes place in an underpass, a city in an underpass. A single underpass. A single. A yeah. sing- it is a single street. Yeah. I just, I want to back up, just so we're clear, not a musical. <laughs> no. It no. has, it's bookended by songs and it has background music. Yeah. Not a musical. No, it's got musical performance. It's got musical numbers in it, but they're not, like, they're, they're, they're diegetic. It's diegetic. a music the way Wayne's World yes. is Absolutely. a musical. 
music plays or just into any it. music a character any, is any, a musician any any yeah. movie with music in it yeah and any this, any movie where the characters are musicians and perform a song right and, yeah not a music plays into right. the plot and i have to say diane lane 18 year old diane lane does an amazing job she's great she's a, she's lip syncing but she does this amazing like her fist pump fist man pump. she's really feeling that fist pump she like can't look at the audience she's yeah. so she's emotional not when she singing, does it she? she's no she's not she's it's, not. it's a, a blend of two singers which i don't know how they did it it's jimmy iovine man yeah mm. i but i love it because she's she's super fun to watch she's super into it she is this rock goddess so anyway she is playing in her old hometown, and in the middle of her concerts, um, a biker gang clad in pleather, or no, patent leather, they just come into the middle of the concert venue, and they're led by Willem Dafoe. They are. And he goes on stage and just takes his woman as he sees the most, it. The most waxen Willem Dafoe has ever He's appeared. Gumby-faced so Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Um, and I do have to maniac face. I do have to pause here. I'm sorry. I have to bring up my extremely weird taste. But um, sure. I, I watched this movie. We're here discussing your extremely weird taste. We are. Let's let's go a little so bit deeper going, into the yeah. psyche. And um, I, when I watched this as a kid, and when I watched this again as an adult, I had some really confusing thoughts or feelings toward Willem Dafoe because I find him so striking in a very evil way because his face is, I think we said, it was sculpted. Yeah, it's like if Michelangelo carved a goblin exactly out of marble, but a weird compelling goblin yeah no it would be a statuesque gorgeous goblin yeah but a goblin a goblin i mean i had confusing yeah. thoughts about him watching this movie as an adult and it was mostly just how is his face doing that? <laughs> what is it's like it's, the, is it like in mr ed where they had to electrocute the horse's yeah. mouth there's or like some jack skellington uh, smoke yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's out of control it's, it is some it is it he is i have seen one other face hit this level and that's arnold in Total Recall. Right, and they used like puppets. For and a lot, a lot of it, of yeah. Yeah, this is all Willem Dafoe. All Willem Dafoe. Yeah. And, um, and so for, for reasons we do not understand and which are never really explored. No, like he's not like an old flame or anything. No. He's just like a biker gang leader who walks into this Ellen Aim concert and then says, no, and runs up on stage <laughs> and just steals her. Did she? He throws her over his shoulder or something? He steals he her. He steals her. There's no security. Like King Koopa. Doesn't he huck... And I, I guess we should probably note uh, Rick Moranis is also in this movie. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he like throw Rick, Rick Moranis across the stage? Yeah, he flies else? off the stage. He and, just flies yeah, off it's like, incredible. A, like a dummy. Rick Moranis gets beat up a lot in this movie. Yeah. He also, tra- Rick Moranis is just in this movie. Yeah, Rick Moranis is in this film as to note that. a shithead manager agent for Ellen Aim, who's also inexplicably her boyfriend. Yeah, Ellen Aim sort of gets tossed around between men, and she never seems to show any desire or preference. She nope. seems very sort of beaten down. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's supposed to be like this powerful, successful musician. She, yeah. Like this emotionally realized character, and then... But nope. she's just a prop. Yeah, she's just a prop, gets tossed around between... Really, boys? Adult yeah. boys? Adult boys, yeah. Uh, so, uh, sorry, we're making this... Plot summary take forever. Please it's continue. okay. It's a very rich plot summary. So. It's, it's a, it, this film weaves a, a rich tapestry. <laughs> yeah, I, you earlier called it a weird pastiche, and I like that. It so is. It's a rock and roll fable and a weird pastiche. So uh, anyway, so Ellen Aim gets kidnapped, and her this woman who works at a diner sends a telegram to her brother, Tom Cody. Now, Tom Cody has- Tom Cody. 
He has uh, his history with uh, Ellen Aim, and that is the level of his performance. Yeah, and he yeah he is played by a brick of styrofoam, I believe, with a very <laughs> that, pretty face. Yeah, right. Um, and so he rides in in a dusty coat on the train from the war, which we never know what war. It right, is. it's just the war. I guess we call is this what we call a soldier of fortune. They, I'm, I'm missing every the plot summary I've seen says Tom Cody's a mercenary. A mercenary. I'm like, is he? He looks homeless. He looks very homeless. He appears to be a homeless veteran. Yeah. Who just the wanders into has, town to sleep on his sister's couch. Yeah, the system has failed him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, his only friend in town is the bartender, Bill Paxton. Yeah. Uh, so but, that says all sorts of things. But about, then he allies himself with someone who punches out Bill Paxton. Yeah, Amy Madigan. Just very shifting loyalties. So Also, also Bill home, Paxton. A also. homeless veteran, also Bill Paxton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, so two homeless veterans. Two homeless veterans. Um, they meet because Tom Cody. So Tom Cody, played by Mon- Michael <laughs> Sorry, Prey. I just, I just got an image of Meatloaf doing First Blood. <laughs> Why? Because we're ta- it's it's a it's it's this, the Tom Cody and his new friend McCoy that he meets at the bar are both disenfranchised war veterans, right? And but then it's like these like the theatrical Meatloaf songs telling their story. <laughs> Man, so you know, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I just want to. <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> continue, <was> Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So Tom Cody comes into town, and mm. he was meant to be an action star. Like this was meant to be a trilogy, but the movie did not perform. And so Tom very, Cody rides uh, in, very pretty, doesn't have a lot of charisma, and so his sister's like, "Hey, your ex-girlfriend, the one, who, the one out of the many who actually mattered to you, she's been kidnapped." Yeah, the and, famous singer Ellen Aim. Yeah, Ellen Aim. And so Ellen Ames' weirdly indifferent um, boyfriend, Rick Moranis, also, you know, he basically hires Tom Cody. Might to, as well be called Prick Moranis. Yeah, he's, dumb. he's a mm. jerk. <laughs> yeah. And I want to <laughs> I want to break here to say uh, Michael Pere apparently kind of thin skinned and he talks a lot about this movie and the making of this movie. And he just has this story where he bashes Rick Moranis. So basically the story is. Michael Prey would come on set and Rick Moranis with his SCTV sort of vibe would be like antagonizing him on the set. And I believe his antagonizing is probably pretty normal jokes. Yeah. And Michael Perret seems like the sort of dude who can't, has to take himself incredibly seriously at all times. So, you know, he was a, a professionally trained chef for a while. Michael Perret? Yeah. And I don't know if I think maybe, I bet he's a great chef. Yeah, I bet maybe that's he, what he's, he's supposed a to be doing. Amazing chef. Yeah. Oh yeah, but then he decided <laughs> that to try. Was what he was meant to do. <laughs> he decided to try this acting thing. Try he got his bit hand by at the acting. Bug. Yeah, he got bit by the bug. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so before this, he was in Eddie and the Cruisers, which I think, as I recall, is a pretty good film. But um, that is what I thought this movie was. <laughs> I Googled it after I went out and walked the just, dog and confirmed that they didn't just like change the name at no. some point and start calling it Streets of Fire. Yeah. Nope. Different films. Totally yeah. different. Does he wear a dusty jacket in that? I bet he does. He sure does. Yeah. So anyway, so he comes into town and he's going to go rescue Ellen Aim and then he meets Amy Madigan who plays uh, McCoy. Got to pause here. Yeah. And talk about him coming into town in the dusty jacket. Please. Because he goes into the Back to the Future diner. Yeah, the diner from Back to the Future. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, it's literally the diner from Back to the Future, and and the Sting with Paul Newman and um, that other guy, Robert Redford. Do you find the use of and, that um, set sacrilegious? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh, who's the third guy in the Sting? I need to get R- Robert, Robert Shaw. Shaw. Thank you. Whew. 
I need, I needed that. Um, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and he takes off his his jacket, and he's gonna to fight some, these punks, fight these punk greasers who, yeah, are smashing up the joint. And uh, he reveals a denim vest, and yeah. we're supposed to think he's a badass he, at that moment. The reveal of his denim vest. It's so incredible. It has pockets. I, I it, wrote it down. It, he may be Canadian. That's what that vest tells it me. Is a, he whips off his duster and it's a sleeveless denim button down with suspenders on high-waisted trousers. I want to <laughs> argue... That's what he's wearing. I want to argue that this movie is actually very fashion forward. You think so? Yeah. Is I want to... Willem Dafoe's uh, leather waders that he wears in yeah, the film? which come up when he takes his shirt off at home, you know, the relaxed Raven Shattuck, is mm-hmm. his name. Uh, he doesn't have a wife beater on. He, ha- he just has suspenders over his alabaster skin and then the just shiny leather waders, as you said. Yeah, it's... He just, he just walks around wearing suspenders that barely cover his nipples. Yeah. You guys remember and they're very shiny. That scene in Star Wars Episode 2 where he goes to the 50s diner run by the alien. Hello, Dex. Yeah. Uh, Dexter Jetster. Dexter Jetster, yeah. Is it possible you. that this movie takes place in Star Wars hmm. and he's coming back from the Clone Wars and that's why Willem Dafoe has a crazy fucking alien face and everybody's dressed <laughs> like a maniac? <laughs> Um, that's it the most in, sense. It is entirely possible. Okay. I wondered so much about this motorcycle gang. Like, I just probably I thought too much about it. I thought, is this is this like a, a citywide version of like a national Are they biker a, gang? This is a franchise? Yeah, know? like, yeah, the unnamed um, I don't know, underpass city. Everybody knows them. The cops are all aware that Willem Dafoe and his gang have kidnapped Ellen Aim and are just holding her in a biker bar, yeah. in a in a in a, in a honky tonk bar. Torchies, torchies, yeah. They're just Torchies. holding her upstairs. Yeah, it's public knowledge. But nobody's doing anything about it until Tom Cody gets to town, yeah. and then Rick Moranis, with a little bit of chest hair poking up through his collar every time. I, it, it bothers me so much, and I don't know why. Every time Rick Moranis is on screen, you can see a tiny little bit of chest hair poking up you know, through the collar of his shirt. Is it that he's the only real man? I think so. I think Moranis. Moranis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pays Tom Cody $10,000 mm-hmm. to get her back from this biker bar that everybody knows is where the famous singer Ellen Aim is being held hostage. This movie is... People take their time. There's no rush. Um, no. They don't worry about the first 48 hours, which are very important. They treat, it like, a real, they yeah. treat it like a real chore. Yeah. It's like Ellen Aim is this rock goddess, this icon, and nobody really seems to like her. Yeah, nobody seems to be terribly concerned with her welfare. Right, mm. exactly. And then when, Dave, you pointed this out earlier, when Tom Cody, our hero... You mean in the version we didn't record? In <laughs> the version we didn't record, yeah. When Tom Cody gets to the bar to do the rescuing, he doesn't even actually do the rescuing. He sends no. Amy Madigan in by herself. He, he gives her a 10% cut and acts, and like, and like Rick Moran is like, hey, I don't want no broad on this trip. Yeah. And they're like really hostile, and then he's like, okay, here's the plan. You go in and rescue her, I'm and stay I'll out stay here. out here. And shoot at random people on motorcycles. <laughs> and that's what happens. And I don't, I again, this is our hero. Like at, at, it's, And it's funny, they make so many jokes and hints that McCoy, Amy Madigan's character, is gay. And it, they kind of fall flat. She's like, you know, I, you're not my type, or... I can drive anything. And yeah. then she has to go. I think the joke is Rick she Moranis goes into. Butch. Yeah. I think the joke is she goes into this club and then has to play it straight. And, you know, tr- she tries to flirt with a biker and that's how she gets access. Right. Right. Yeah. He takes her back into a room to rape her. Oh, that's like, right. 
that's how this escalates. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then she pulls a gun on him and then makes her makes him take her into Willem Dafoe's poker room. Because mm-hmm. that's what bike gangs do. Yep. They just sit back, play cards while they have abducted famous singers upstairs yeah. tied to a bed. And know that the heat is on. People are going to come looking for her eventually. Um, yeah, so that happens. They rescue her after a very confusing uh, scene between Ellen Aim and Raven Shattuck, who's uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, yeah. He, everybody's very drag-ass about rescuing her, and he's very, I don't want to sound insensitive when I say this, but he's sort of very procrastinating on attacking her. Like, he's going to assault her, but it kind of never happens. And the, He's very, he, he suddenly becomes a six-year-old. Yeah. Like, his mode, it's, he, he has her tied to the bed, but it's like, She's still wearing all her clothes. And yeah. Like he gets in there and tries to kiss her and she like turns away and he right. doesn't force it any further. And he's just like, I'm sorry. I just like pretty girls. Yeah. You'll and be my girlfriend for a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make you my girlfriend, which is <laughs> like kind of more terrifying. It, it's, it's, it's de- I mean, it's definitely not, not terrifying. Yeah. Like, right. But I mean, it's just a very naive understanding. This whole film has a very naive understanding of the way ed- anything works. Yes. But and, yeah, he's just basically a dragon. He just yeah. he just swooped down, he kidnaps the princess, and he puts the princess in the tower, and then that's it. Yeah, it's like he goes downstairs and plays poker <laughs> with Lee Ving. With right? Lee Ving, fucking yeah. Lee Ving's in this. Everybody's in this. Yeah, there are a lot um, of a lot of strange cameos. Fucking, what is he doing? Why is he trying to act? What is, I don't. I think he was just people he liked a, fear. So yeah, they started throwing. Him well, in John movies. Belushi was a big fan of fear, and yeah. that's how I think that's how he got leaving. Is Mister Body and Clue for those wondering who leaving Ving is, who's also lead singer of the punk band Fear, um, who yeah was friends with John Belushi, and I think that got him a little connected with certain roles, and he like just tried to act briefly for a couple of years in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they free Ellen Aim, and then they sort of go on the run a little bit. Right. They meet the Sorrels. Yeah, they meet this... Uh, or the Temptations, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I would argue heavily influenced the later movie, The Five Heartbeats. Sure. <laughs> I don't think Much more so than anything. The Temptations yeah. actually influenced <laughs> The Five Heartbeats. Yeah, it's... Uh, God, I'm, no, I'm, it's weird. I'm struggling. I watched this again a couple nights ago, and I'm struggling to remember what happens. No, they, they escape in the Sorrels yes. bus. Yeah. That's the thing about over. this movie is you watch it, and then you forget what happens. You know yeah. what? It's because the atmosphere is intoxicating, and it's a world I mm. like hanging yeah, out yeah, in. You or it's really because enjoy- you drift in and out of sleep <laughs> while watching it. You really enjoy this movie. And I, I do. I'm trying to hit on why. Okay. Is it the music? Okay, I... I first of all just really think it's very fun to watch. It's really stupid. Oh yeah, but um, there's so many we elements. Agree on that. Yeah. To quote Rick Moranis, it's the shits. Exactly, <laughs> and I think I just enjoy the whole imperfect thing. But the other thing I want to point out is that you know, we talk about this very naive understanding of the world that mm-hmm. this movie seems to have. So the guys who wrote it are Walter Hill and Larry Gross, and Larry Gross kept a very detailed diary about this time. So a lot of, of quotes course from he him. Did. Um, so basically, what they were going into, okay, so Walter Hill had just done... The Warriors. The Warriors, and then he did 48 Hours, which did extremely well. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of riding that wave, and... <laughs> They're like, we gotta get Walter Hill's next picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Streets of Fire. Uh, and then, so he and Larry Gross want to write this movie that is the movie they most wanted when they were 12 years old. Mm. So all the elements... Checks out. Yeah, checks out. So they want... Um, 
they want a kind of 50 style greaser gang and these guys like grew up in the 50s partly but they still want to have sex with teenagers yes. so they put it on they base it in 80s cool because that's what was popular with teenagers at the time yeah they mentioned that there's this whole wave of teenage movies and so their idea about this world was that it would be like high school and that everybody in the movie is under or like 30 years or under and that is just like high school yeah just like high school just like high school well just like casting a movie in high school at that time right which I know is not always true. So anyway, what I admire is that they did that and they did make this movie for themselves and it's got the naivety of 12-year-old boys and they kept that so intact with this movie. And I, I mentioned earlier, it reminds me of fan fiction, but like realizing fan fiction. So I don't know if you guys ever dabbled, but... Dabbled in some fanfic? Yeah. Did you guys ever do that? I've dabbled. Yeah. I've dabbled in some fanfic. Mm-hmm. I did. A, I used to dabble in some X-Files fanfic. Oh, shit. Yeah. It got very real. Oh, speaking of X, we got, uh, Mr. Oh, yeah. X is in this We have movie. Mr. X. Yeah, he was... Um, Which I didn't realize. One of the two cops, the other one being Slider from Top Gun. Yeah. And then, I mean, while we're going down the list, we we did Bill Paxson. Bill Paxson, yeah, he's um, a bartender. He and gets then there's punched Ed Bagley Jr. Ed Bagley Jr. plays a homeless guy for like 10 roof, lines. He's a rooftop hobo. A rooftop hobo. A very informed... A rail-riding hobo who lives <laughs> on the roof. And he, he gives his ear to the ground. You know? Yeah, he, he just appears to like dispense yeah. information to our heroes. Yeah. And then we never see him. Go again. off into the night. He vanishes. Do they into name the do they use his name? No. no. I like to imagine that it's just Ed Bagley Jr. It could Wait. very well have just been Ed it, Bagley. No, yeah. you know what it Bender. was? What it, was his name? It was Ben Gunn with two N's. Oh right, the Treasure Island thing. Can, I thought that was gonna be what like some Treasure Island. Yeah. Thing. Ben Gunn is a character in Treasure Island. They named a character in this after a character in Treasure Island? Yeah, it's when um, what the, whatever the hell the main character, the Why little kid from that? Treasure Island's name is, I forget. Um, but when Jim, he ge- Jim, yeah, I think that's right. Is that Hawkins, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, they get to uh, when they get to Treasure Island, they meet. He finds one of the crew that Long John Silver pre- had previously fucked over and, and marooned, and his name's Ben Gunn. So he's like this like crazy. So Ed Bagley Jr. is oh, named fits. after a character. From Treasure Jr. Island. I thought it was going to be some sort of pointed reference because it's a weirdly specific name. Mm-hmm. But no, it's not. Feels like the writer was just looking at his bookshelf. Yeah. Well, then I want to point out an- another sort of theme here is just a lack of information or background or context, which again, to, to me. anyone? I don't think that's a theme. Well, I think I mean, that's just a It's a fault. tone. It's a tone. So I It mentioned- could be called a theme. <laughs> So I like that there's this unsophisticated worldview that is, again, in keeping with how you see the world when you're like 12 years old. And because I brought up fan fiction and whatever you did with that, whatever direction you went, whether you're shipping the characters or whatever, it was a way to explore that world. You're like barring that world and I don't know, just kind of playing around in it. And that's what this feels like. But the fan fiction was just it has pop culture under pop culture references. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been good if like the movie ends on like just zoom out and it all takes place in like a, a child in a, in a coma's head right before they or pull like the plug. Or like a snow globe. <laughs> um, and it's just a dead child's just a dead child's yeah. last Last thoughts. final hallucination. I would buy this as a je- dead child's last oh, thoughts. Oh yeah. But <laughs> it doesn't explain any of that. That last well, song that tonight is what it needs to be. Uh, pulls, <laughs> oh my God. Pulls out on this dead kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So when I when I talk about the very um, we just fix this movie. <laughs> I talk about the sort of lack of nuance or understanding of interpersonal relationships that we see oh, repeatedly yeah. in this film. So Fuck. we let's talk about um, so Tom Cody and Ellen Aim used to have this history, 
and we only the get math it. on that is fucked up. It's fucked Continue. up because she's eighteen, and, and he's like twenty-seven. It's yeah. like the Indiana Jones situation. Yeah, where, where you you, like, if you think about it for more, so you're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So if you pull back, going back chronologically, we know that he's been gone for at least two years, and he yeah. fucked off on her. So we don't know that about we don't know that about the relationship until like mid movie or two thirds of the way. Yeah, in. it's the only reason they ever give for why because he's fucking he loathes LNA in this. He's furious with yeah. her all the time. He. He's not too mad to have sex with her, but no. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason we ever get is that he's just like mad that she, her music career took off. That's it. And then he goes and joins the military. And he or joins whatever. the fucking army. The and clone, doesn't write the clone, the, army. the clone wars, right? Yeah. To go. And uh, yeah, so it's it's that he's a fucking dirtbag. Yeah, so that ended yeah. when she was probably sixteen. So yeah. they had a history prior to that. Right. So he's the adult in the relationship dating a teenager. And, and then gets mad when she gets more successful than exactly. him. And then we talked about how Ellen Aim gets tossed around between these men, and she doesn't seem to have many desires. They, none of them seem to... Like, a lot of the characters say, like, I really care about her, or like, yeah. I love her. We don't ever get that. No. Like, it's just Rick Moranis and, and uh, Michael Pere are the two people competing for her affection, yeah. but, like... Well, how is that a competition? <laughs> like, I'm not saying one is necessarily better than the other. I'm saying they're well, so wildly different. Well, one is supportive of her career. Yeah. Yeah. That matters. But it's also making him money. Well, it's true. How is she fucking Rick, Mal- Rick Moranis? How's that work? Maybe know. she hasn't She's yet. She's got that little bow tie. She's got a little bow tie. With, you can see his chest hair again. Yeah. It's just like, hello. Yeah. So there's this whole lack of motivation. And and at the end of the movie, when Tom Cody's like, I don't want to be around carrying your guitars, it's like, what the fuck do you have to Why? do that's better? Yeah. yeah. That's great. You could support her, go, make some cash. Can, yeah, I'm going to go continue to be homeless. Be with this woman who you claim to just be so yeah, in like, love look, with. Man, you're in a relate if you're in a relate her success is your success, yeah, man. Like that's exactly. that's a relationship, Tom Cody. Mm. Yeah. And he's just a dick. And what? Yeah. What does he have? Nothing. Yeah. He literally walks out uh, on his meteorically rising famous girlfriend uh, s- uh, singer to go be homeless with Amy Madigan. He's a real heap of garbage. That <laughs> he's guy. just a trash man. And yeah. actually, we don't know because we have no idea of the chronology. We don't know if her career took off while they were together. Or if he just left and in the I, th- I can't years. remember the exact. They, there is some dialogue that suggests that's the case. Yeah. Like he took off when when her career blew up, and it's the only reason we're ever given why he's so fucking furious with her. Oh, exactly. Um, a dick. Yeah. So why do you like this movie? Because I think it's so fun. It's a really uncomplicated word worldview, which is problematic. But watching it is so much fun. And I'll give you my history with this. It used to come on HBO and I'd see bits and pieces of it. And my only memories are my mom pointing out how terrible Amy Madigan's performance was. <laughs> she is real bad. It's so bad. I guess everyone's her, bad in this movie. Well, her deal was she auditioned for the part of the sister, mm-hmm. Reva uh, Cody. Reva Cody. Yeah. And she's like, hey, man. And she looked at the, um, the part that was written for an overweight army buddy. And she's like, I won't play that part. And so she plays this part, and it's a terrible performance. They're all terrible performances. Uh, but anyway, but then I went to see it on the big screen with a friend of mine, because I used to live in Portland. And in Portland, if you want to see Purple Rain, or if you want to see this I movie on the big screen. I have seen Purple Rain on the big screen like seven times. I've never seen Purple Rain. Oh, it's something. Well, and it's something from this era, too. We pointed it out. It does not hold up. I'm not no. going to ever see it. <laughs> Tossing but women in dumpsters. It just occurred to me that I will defend the shit out of Under the Cherry Moon on this podcast <gasps> someday. But go on, oh, man. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, I haven't seen that one, actually. So there's sort of a connection for me between this movie and Purple Rain in that the hero uh, commits an act or two of domestic violence, and you had a great point about why that's different, because in Purple Rain, it's a part of the character. It's, uh, in Purple Rain, it's a part of his arc, because yeah. like his his father's abusive, and he you know he hates his father, and then like we actually see him go through like some emotional turmoil right. over having done this awful thing. And, <laughs> and, in, and in Streets of Fire, it's just... He's on a subway car or elevated train. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should be. Um, with Amy Madigan and Diane Lane about to go confront Willem Dafoe in a sledgehammer fight. And Diane Lane's like, I'm coming with you. He's like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then the last second, he just punches her full Close, on in the face. Closed fist. Closed fist. He, you know what would have done in this situation? He could have been like, oh, what's that? And then when she turned, he just jumped off the subway. Or just have her, have Amy her. Madigan was holding her. Just be like, look, ex-army friend, can you just hold like just a like 100 pound 18 year old Diane Lane yeah. while I get off this subway car. Well, and I'm then, gonna, I'm gonna, or I can shatter her fucking face. And then what does Amy Madigan do? She's stuck with this unconscious woman who's probably gonna get going. She a doesn't coma. bat an eye. He's like, make sure she's like, you know, watch after. He's like, yeah, okay. Like, so, she like accepts what he's done. Like, yeah, that's what I would have done too. I, I Sometimes don't, she's gotta knock people out. I he don't like just had Amy Madigan pat puncher. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why not do that? A softer touch. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't. Or like, just hold her. I don't like defending moments like this, but I will. I said it in the last recording, and I'll say it again. This is this is movie logic, where in movies everybody punches everybody to knock them out, and it's fine. It mm-hmm. happens all the time. No bruise. No bruise. No concussion. It's done for convenience. It's done for convenience, and you do it all the time. And you can do it to your pets. You can do it to your kids. You can do it to whoever you want you in the movies. Knock out your pets. Yeah, you can just like Jeffrey like, Jones if you need drops to bring a them flower on a pot on the dog's head in Ferris Bueller and exactly. it just or comically like, knocks it out instead of you know caving and in its, its fine. skull. So I would argue that this is a world where that's just something people do to each other all but the when, time. When you do it to a romantic partner. It, it's pretty shocking when yeah. it's done to. When, I mean, when the, when in the, the context of watching it happen, <laughs> yes, it is shocking. And again, I don't condone it in the real world. I'm just saying, in movie logic, I've seen this so many times that when I saw it in this, I was just like, "Yeah, that's what happens in shitty movies." I'm I understood it as being an artifact of the time, but it's still like jarring. It's a, it's a yeah. bad one because yeah. even as an artifact of the time, having the male lead having the hero punch the female lead is not was not the the normal the no, no. thing no but I, it's not the only time it's happened I'm no trying to, it, i'm trying to think of other movies where it happens now. With, a, with american history x <laughs> <laughs> yeah there we go american history x <laughs> there's that old chestnut <laughs> wait does he, does she sleep with him after he punches yeah before oh it's before okay that's good that she doesn't reward him with sex after being knocked out she does Try to, during right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> knocks her out during he does try she does try to get him to stay yeah sort of i don't know he just walks up i'm not gonna carry your guitar so like, fuck you go be in saw you loser <laughs> you're borderline buffalo not Bill even saw voice. he's in like saw four is he oh yeah wait really he's yeah. in things oh yeah he was in a thing after oh he's this? had a career oh, yeah, yeah. he's in a, he's in a lot of not great movies well he's we mentioned dire- he, he he is a well a known traveler of the direct DVD market. You know, mm. I think of uh, him and Eric Roberts as sort of being, you could lump them together pretty easily. They don't yeah. say no to a lot of scripts. They've sort of got that same look. They do have a similar look. Yeah. yeah. Eric Roberts looks more leathery. He does. He absolutely does. So uh, the other thing I was going to say about that. 
Uh, <laughs> oh my God, one so of them was left. also in The Dark Knight. <laughs> oh, shit, that's right. It wasn't Michael Perret. <laughs> God, I'm losing the thread of Sorry. the plot. No, I was trying to think of the plot. Again, you had to forget. So then there's a sledgehammer. Yeah, right? it's like the plot is forgettable. Yeah, right? it's it's Willem Dafoe challenges him to a, challenges Tom Cody to a sledgehammer fight after he rescues Ellen Aim, and they yeah. have a sledgehammer fight in because, the street. Because there's no more 80s weapon than a sledgehammer. It's pretty. I would not. In that situation, if Willem Dafoe, that Willem Dafoe challenged me to sledgehammer fight, no, yeah. I, I'd be like, I'm no, not fighting. I don't answer. even know what you are. Like, what's going on? You're going to sprout wings mid swing. Yeah. Like, I don't want to fight you. And he's made a deal with the cop, Mr. 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 X. X. Yeah. Uh, just like stand aside. Let me have the sledgehammer fight in the, under the underpass. And then like, I'll leave the city alone. Yeah, sort of. They're outgunned at that moment, too. Mm-hmm. Like he. Mr. X tries to be like, no, the cops will show up and be the cops yeah. and like make this motorcycle gang go away. But there's like way too many motorcycle guys. So it's like, well, shit, my plan's out the window. Yeah. Beat his ass, he says to uh, Tom Cody. Yeah. Tom Cody. I think he tells him to get out of town first and he doesn't. He does. And then, yeah, so Cody's going to, that's, that's the scene where he knocks Dan Lane out. Right. He tells her we're going to get out of town and then he fucking punches her full on in the face. There's a weird, She like, has a concert <laughs> there's to a perform. Weird, <laughs> yeah, that's a weird really, sense that's of really like, fucked up sexual commerce too because he he rejects the full payment from Rick Moranis and he only gives the 10% that he owes to McCoy. Right, like my first thought was give her the fucking 10,000 you yeah. trash. You made her go inside the bar by herself and yeah. fucking fight all of Willem Dafoe's guys. But it's like his payment was sleeping with Diane Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I just wanted to call that out. Um, right, because that happens immediately. Like he does. throws the money back at him, and then she falls him outside in the rain, and then they have wet, weird sex. Oh, and before in a dirty that, ass bed. On his way out, he oh, says God. he would have done anything for her at one point, but not anymore. And you just have there's no reason for it. No. Again, it's he's, like a twelve year old writing. He's trash. <laughs> he's trash. You guys talking about the ending is maybe that meatloaf song. I would do anything for love. <laughs> I, I would do. Maybe that was yeah. going to be in this movie, right? Oh, and then so it just beautiful. got shelved for eighteen years. And yeah. Then meatloaf uh, made another album. Jim Steinman wrote it for this film, and yeah. then it didn't make it in. We mentioned Jimmy Iovine was the music producer on this. Yeah, and I overheard the first time you recorded this episode, you <laughs> mentioned that it's named Streets of Fire because of the Springsteen song. Yeah. yeah that they. But then they wanted someone to cover it? They, and Springsteen withdrew his permission. Yeah. They, they what were, the motherfuck? They were going to end the song that they ended with now was written very quickly by uh, Steinman. In like two days. Yeah. Uh, because they had to replace it the last minute because they had there was going to be Streets of Fire and they were going to have the band in the movie do it and the boss was like nope. <laughs> so then, good for him. Yeah. yeah. So then lip sync that shit. Then they have to do like uh, these shots of um, the streets lined with trash can fires to you know justify, justify. The trash the title. fire is very yeah very uh, fitting astute. yeah yeah. If for no other reason than just Tom Cody himself is a trash fire. He walks out on beautiful, (laughs) successful Diane Lane. Does not support her career. Does not support her career at all. Punches her full on in the face so he can go be a homeless dork. Does he... does he, do they not end up together? Because no, I, I'm realizing, he leaves. I'm realizing as you're talking about the ending that I, my brain just he leaves, he leaves town. this all over. Hey, okay. Hey guys, uh, d- does Willem Dafoe die? No. Okay. I couldn't no, remember. No, leaving carries, so three a, carries his, his beaten ass off. Yeah. Um, so that happens. And instead of staying with Diane Lane, and being like a fully formed I'm adult. Of, I'm glad he doesn't because he's such trash. He is. Okay, so establishing that this is a 
uh, fable. What is the lesson that we land on? I don't on think they know the what end? fable means. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing fairy tale esque about. It. I mean, you do have okay. You could argue that rooftop well, hobo is like the harbinger. What is it called? The person who like predicts and gives you information. Oh, well, harbinger sounds fun. Yeah, and then you have the princess in the tower with the dragon, who's Willem Dafoe. Yeah, but that's like fairy tale. Fable and fairy tale are yeah, fable right. implies a lesson. Yeah. There's right. a there's a moral. Yeah, there's a uh, it's the it's the tortoise and the hare. It's it's right. Right. Yeah. Just making sure I'm getting fable right here, but like that. This. I think the, the the fable that it's the lesson here is don't judge a person by their past successes because mm-hmm. they should not have allowed Walter Hill to make this film for thirty million dollars. Yeah, so it's so because forty eight hours was good. Forty eight hours was good for a very specific I, reason. Yeah, I started watching it the and other day. It was day. not Walter Hill. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I, watched that movie in a while, and boy is uh, Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. Boy is he racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was He's cra- shocking. They, they, they're crazy racist in that film. Yeah. Uh, so did we talk about this was meant to be a trilogy? We mentioned it, yeah. Okay. Well, what's so interesting, the trilogy didn't end up happening. Uh, the, <laughs> that is interesting. Mm. I wonder why. But there was an unofficial sequel. So it's so interesting. I, I mentioned before, there's like these post, these resentful sort of uh, post-mortem comments of, that people make about the movie and why it fails. A lot of people's lives peaked at this film, I'm yeah. realizing, because they go back and watch it like Uncle Rico and, and Napoleon Dynamite. Oh my God, yeah. it is, yeah. And um, there's a lot of shit talking about Michael Perret and how that he was not a strong actor. He's not. No, he's not. And I had I mentioned too that originally they wanted Tom Cruise in the part and Daryl Hannah as Ellen Aim. Do you guys think that would have improved the movie? I think it would have been a notable footnote in his. It would be more. Tom yeah. It would be more memorable because of Tom Cruise. But like not people would good. No, it, I don't I, think there's a version of this movie that would have been good. No, um, I think this film was flawed from th- the concept. Yeah, I think you need <laughs> like, to gut it. You need to get the, get a new director. Get maybe someone to come in and uh, who can like write it. a screenplay. The the broad idea of it is fine, I guess. Yeah. But it's not executed. Well. I admire There's the nothing... simplicity of stories mm-hmm. like these, yeah. Because that's, I think there is a tendency to overcomplicate storylines yeah. more often in in modern filmmaking, which is also bad. Um, when you just when you're like Pixar is the best about this because they just make all their movies about a single thing. Yeah, mm. Isn't it a complicated B story. Yeah, you don't need to. Is there a B story here? I don't. No, no it's simple. Like no, this a... is like I'm saying. This is a. I admire the the yeah. simplicity of this film, but it's just not. I don't think it's done it's well. simple like a spider or a dumb child or something where you right. gotta it's it's perfect in that sense it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a perfect simple hideous movie yeah and it did um, give us a hit it did, did. that's right uh, I can dream about you yeah that was Which launched from this movie originated from this film the Sorrells sang it yes yeah with the Sorrells so what movie is Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band from is that Eddie and the Cruisers? <laughs> Probably. It's not from this film. Because it would be crazy if it was from it. Because that, that guy is basically more Springsteen than Springsteen. <laughs> like that's, that's probably that's, my favorite Springsteen song. That might have been 80s. who they wanted to see. He's Springsteen's replicant. Yeah. Now, I'm too afraid to leave the room to go check, but yeah. I don't know. Please don't go. Okay. We can, we can check as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> um, oh, but, but I wanted to say, too, Michael Perret has n- not. He did not move on from this movie because even though there were no sequels nope. officially, there was an unofficial sequel in 2008 that none of us have seen. I, I, I none of us discovered. Will. No, I kind of need to watch this. It's yeah. called Road to Hell. Yeah. Which suggests that the intervening 30 years were pretty rough on Tom Cody after he walked out on Ellen Aim. That code is going to be very tattered. 
and a little bit bloody. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be, he's good. I have a feeling he's going to, it's going to be very puffy. It's going to be they, a very puffy sequel. <laughs> did they get Willem Dafoe to return? No, there's the only person. How about person, Bill Paxton? The only person who no. returned was the woman who played his sister. That's, that's it. Huh? She's been sitting in that diner set for the intervening like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Telling you, a lot of people's lives peaked yeah. at this film. And they couldn't quite get over uh, the failure of it. Yeah. And um, we talked to you about the DNA of this film. <laughs> Mr. DNA. Uh, so <laughs> according to Larry Gross, he, he very strongly feels that this movie and what it gave to cinema influenced two things in particular, RoboCop and Seven. Nope. Discuss. No, no, it's none be, of that. It's going to be difficult to rep- replicate the uh, the intensity of my initial scorn yeah. when we recorded this. First Can you tap time, back into that? It is though? fucking nonsense. <laughs> when people say something like that, that when he goes on record and says something like that, it's like, oh, okay, you're insane, right? Okay, yeah. I, yeah. Sus- I, I suspect I figured it all. Out. I think you might be an asshole. Yeah, this is you're how crazy I, asshole. This, this is how he sleeps at night. Right? Yeah. It's like man, yeah. it's he's convinced that that. It's that meme of Principal Skinner where it's like, nope, the children are wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's like everything is telling you that you failed and you were like, no, it's everybody else that was wrong. I was right. It's like, no, you made a bad movie, dude. But you were very generous about Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I did a bit of the work for yeah. him because Seven takes place, in deliberately so, the geography of Seven is insane because it combines geography of New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. It's deliberately taking place in a city that doesn't exist. It's supposed to... Re- represent all cities yep. all the major cities right but i think when david fincher was getting seven together and talking to the screenwriter and stuff i don't think there was ever a conversation that was just like you know like that uh that movie streets What's of it? fire yeah, yeah, yeah streets yeah. of fire like, yeah we're gonna yeah. we're gonna accomplished screenwriter uh, andrew kevin walker yeah well and <laughs> what they did capture was the city of despair there's a lot of despair here oh yeah Despair comes yeah, off this movie of in despair. waves. Oh yeah, I mean, what is there to do? You you're in the service industry in the diner, or you're like these longshoremen-looking greasers in a motorcycle gang, or you're Bill Paxton. You have to own your own business. Or and you're get punched out in a rockabilly band that they spent an uncomfortable amount of time focusing on. Close-ups on two super close-ups of this ugly man, very distinct, very sweaty face. Yeah, hmm. I, I was being cruel when I said ugly. He's. He's distinctive distinct looking man and that's something i really appreciate about this movie i i've talked about my uncomfortable attraction to willem dafoe but i think it's that i really appreciate an interesting face and that's something that this movie does give you there's a lot of interesting faces sure in this film. i'll give and, it that and then in the bar in the club torchies we've got we called it the uh gozer stripper. oh yeah <laughs> they have a, a, a stripper who is not, well, she's yeah. Well, yeah, she's a stripper. She gets completely naked yeah, in this very... PG film, which I was not expecting. And that's then I remembered like, it was the eighties. Do you think it's the most edgy? Aside from the s- suggested sexual assault, do you think that's the most edgy element of this? Yes. Yeah, I do. Because uh, otherwise, it's this is like surprisingly childish film. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, I was but talking, yeah, it's go- Gozer, Gozer. dancing on the, not even really to the music, just attacking the no, air. Androgynous Gozer in fishnets, just going yeah, for it. Yeah, just a gorgeous statuesque woman <laughs> yeah. dancing around in, in fishnet, fishnet like, body sock. That, oh, yeah. That moment was like for her. Like she didn't care that she, I it think she, like she was still, performing. She was she, just like, I just fucking love this song. Yeah. And I'm going to go crazy she's like not to with it. the band. Yeah, and y'all yeah. can watch if you want. Like, yeah. I think she stays I don't on know the bar when there. everybody runs out. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can still see her in the background. She's just like, "This is all I have. This is my moment." Yeah, this is the tonight hill. Tonight is what it means to be young. This is the bar I die on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or mm. keep dancing. 
Uh, any final thoughts? Oh, man, I have so many. So, <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> no, I, what I thought, okay, so I had mentioned before a couple movies that I'm not saying they took direct inspiration from Streets of Fire, but movies that made me think of Streets of Fire. Mm. And one is Dark City. Because, right. okay, so they filmed, I don't think we mentioned this, but they filmed so much of um, the underpass scenes under like a million dollar tarp. It was like 1.2 million that they had right, made. Right, right, right. So they could film night scenes during the day. Yeah. So there were some day scenes, but this is really a night city. And oh, yeah. so it kind of makes me think of Dark City where it's never daytime. Nope. Yep. Also, weird sense of geography in this movie, like you have in Dark City. Well, yeah, it's just the one street. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they have it so hard in the street. Just go to the next one. Yeah. Just see what's happening on that yeah. other street. This one street seems pretty so rough. Far, this Let's one get street. off this street. Yeah. 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 Um, and the other thing. Get off this fucking road, man. When I was watching Fury Road, I felt mm. like Tom Hardy, probably without meaning to, had um, a Michael Pere vibe. And that is a compliment. It's like a silent Michael Pere vibe where it's got the uh, piercing eyes and the very pretty sculpted face. Mm-hmm. But of course, Tom Hardy turned into much more... Um, He's playing thoughtful. He's playing feral in that movie almost he's, in he's, the beginning anyway. Yeah, um, and and probably way better gender dynamics from that character. But yeah, uh, but any yeah. superior film and performance in every possible in way. every single. Yeah, way. I don't think we need to bring we don't need to bring Tom but, Hardy. We don't have to. <laughs> but, but that reminded me, and it reminded me of why kinda, Michael Prey almost justifies his presence in this movie, but but not almost. Completely. He looks right. Yeah, for sure. It's a good. It's a good description of the hero and lead role. That he almost justifies his presence. Right. Yeah. He was almost correct in this movie. A quick fun story, too. I don't know if you read this, but uh, apparently this was pitched to whatever studio Michael Eisner was at at the time. And he rejected it. He rejected Paramount, this. I think. Yeah, he was at Paramount. Okay, so he rejected this as being, this movie what as the being. the fuck do I know that off the top of my head? Anyway, sorry. You're an Eisner head. <laughs> apparently, I just really follow Michael Eisner's <laughs> career. Um, see, this is pre-Disney, so... Yeah, Sorry, oh, no, it's fine. So he rejected it as being too similar to Indiana Jones. And I don't quite understand that. Yeah, no, the dusty totally. coat. Except, okay, what professional... Uh, it's got the archaeology. What are got these the, maniacs? Uh, <laughs> it's got the pedophile stuff. You know, it's a I lot like, it's it's a lot like Seven yeah. and Indiana Jones. <laughs> That's the only thing it has is disturbing math b- involving yeah. the relationship yeah. between the two main characters. The only thing it has in common with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, absolutely. The fuck are you talking about, Michael Eisner? I know. It I feels know. like he just didn't want to just tell them it was yeah. garbage. And so he was like, you know, it's just too good. It's too much like Indiana it's too Jones. Good, yeah. So we talked about how the producer... Joel Silver was involved too. And for the longest mm-hmm. time. Known monster. Known monster. And for the longest time, he was a cheerleader for this terrible movie. I think even when they were looking at dailies, he was like, yeah, no, it'll be great. Sure. Yeah. I bet the dailies looked okay for this film. Like, if you're not locked, listening to the dialogue too closely and you're just looking at the visuals, I'm sure it looked like a movie. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> you put it all together. Yep. You don't have oh, a movie. You're so. we wrong. You're we wrong. Yeah. It's not a movie at it's all. Gone. This is bad. This is real it's bad. Not <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing. This uh, is nothing at all. I think also we'd mentioned that there was this this vibe. We we compared this to other movies like The Warriors, where and I think Little Shop of Horrors, where we said, oh, and Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah, where you can be kitschy and ridiculous and it works. But the problem with this is nobody seemed to be having fun. Nobody's having fun. Nobody, nobody realizes wants... how ridiculous their characters yeah. are. Yeah. Or maybe they do, and they're, that's why they're, and they're not just angry fun. about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it takes no itself too seriously for the type of, which is very strange considering the type of movie that it is. It is. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, it's have more fun. I 
have more fun with it. It's like the costume designers had a lot of fun with it. Sure. And that was it. They, when they when they tried to sell us that sleeveless denim button down like it wasn't fucking insane. Or the yeah. patent leather corset for the men. Yes. Yeah. His, his, his Willem Dafoe's nipple covering overalls. Um, I don't know if they, it feels like they were given like, like a bunch of old clothes from like a warehouse, like, like some like like fishing mm-hmm. fish packing <laughs> yeah, warehouse sure. or something it was like this is what we got make it work it reminds me of doing community theater in a small town because you know you just have what's in the bag you have what's in the bag yeah. so i would wear a dress in a play and then you'd see that dress pop up everywhere else and uh, that's all they have they have like seven you know costumes to mm. choose from um i wanted to do a quick shout out to my friend christian who took me to see this on the big screen because i checked in with him uh, and I mentioned I was going to be on this podcast, and he's like, oh my God, that's awesome. I saw it on the big screen again last night. So um, I think it's important. Again, there's screenings of this movie, apparently, yeah. happening in in this country, and know, nobody know, is aware of it. I know Dave wants to give a big thank you to Christian. <laughs> yeah. No, well, yeah. I thanks. Con- so we went to see this at a thanks, movie that Christian. has a bar, mm-hmm. which I think has probably helped That'll probably heighten my the enthusiasm. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> so he said, um, and I think this is a really great way of describing it, he said it's a 1950s juvenile delinquent movie with 80s aesthetics. And yeah, that's all that's you need. true. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to put it in a weird pastiche. Stealth, <laughs> stealth Ed Bagley came yeah. in trying to slide Ed Bagley in there like we wouldn't notice him. You guys, if this had been a trilogy, what do you think would have happened next to Tom Cody? I don't think it would have been a trilogy. I don't think there's any uh, universe where we have to think about that <laughs> Man. possibility. <sighs> And I don't, he just, he goes, he shows up to rescue some other woman that he deeply resents for yeah. no reason. And the, well, the only woman he seems to get along with is the one who's not sexually interested in him. Right. It's McCoy. Yeah. And so they kind of ride off into the underpass I think together. The, I think the sequel is that they're both going to get just really hooked on heroin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about <laughs> like, that as a duo. That's a very joyless duo. They need something. Yeah. They have nothing. They're both jaded war veterans who are homeless. Yeah. Like, well, I think once um, uh, the Emperor orders uh, Order 66, 66 yeah. yeah, they'll turn on the Jedi. And yeah. They'll show up and murder the Jedi and hmm. then Obi-Wan will cut their heads off. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. Well, um, I'm still not a I think I kind of get why you like this movie because yeah. I think the songs are fun and the, the Diane Lane in her musical performances is fun to watch. She's so fun to watch. Um, if this had been a concert movie, it would be more satisfying. I think so. Yeah. And the sledgehammer fight is fun. That's really fun. The rest of the movie is very boring. <laughs> it is boring. I mean, boring. I can't remember the, the... It's it's hard to keep the events of the film straight. So yeah. I... I did. I, I've never hated this movie, so mm-hmm. you didn't really change my opinion. I yeah. only saw it one other time, and it's was when I was in high school. I was like, "Oh yeah, that was like a weird '80s movie yeah. with Willem." Def- I mean, the only one I think I knew was Willem Dafoe. I mean, yeah. I mean Bill Paxton, but it was like, oh, "It's cool to see him fighting some dude with a sledgehammer." Yeah, I knew Michael Pere at the time as the guy who was in that werewolf movie, Bad Moon. Ooh, <laughs> mm. goodness! He's in a werewolf film with um, Mariel Hemingway. Huh, that sounds good. Um, it's okay. Let's watch that. It's an okay. What film. is he? Does he turn? He's the werewolf. Hmm. Spoilers? No, it's not spoilers. Okay. You know he's the werewolf from the beginning. Yeah. Is it in the trailer? Um, yeah. I also want to mention just I'm fascinated by uh, Walter Hill and Larry Gross's ways of describing what they were going for. I'm fascinated by how they don't seem to understand anything about movies. Yeah. Mm. Like saying this movie's just like Seven and Indiana Jones. Like shut no, the fuck not. up, Larry well, Gross. So he said to you, maniac. <laughs> 
We are going to make a high school movie that's also going to be a comic book and also going to be a musical. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. No, How is this a comic book? I guess the darkness. Maybe. <sighs> It's just dark. Yeah. First of all, just fucking film at night, guys. Just yeah. film at just night. Film at night, bro. You don't need a tarp. Boom, we, we saved you a million bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't need a fucking tarp, man. I know night shoots are hard, I, but deal with it. I feel nothing but hostility towards this movie and the people who made it. Um, That's okay. If I see one of them on the street, I might push them. The uh, the soundtrack is available on iTunes for $6. That's a deal. $6. $6. It's worth it for I Can Dream About You Alone. Oh, my God. Amen to that. Uh, that, I'd pay $6 for that song. It's a good song. We talked about how the the bus got commandeered. They stole the bus from the struggling group. Yeah. And And drove them into a police barricade, which then Michael Perry gets out and starts shooting at the cops. Yeah. And And the cops are already racist. Yeah. And they dragged these poor singers into their fight with the racist police and then they get to open for ellen yeah that's their like you owe them at least that right like i mean how do they uh, i don't know they introduce themselves to the police as a sorel so they know that the sorels shot at them or like were involved in a shooting with oh, them oh yeah but uh, um I, sure get them open for you that solves that problem another cameo i mentioned that i'm kind of obsessed with is um eg daily yeah sure so she, I know her. Tommy Pickles. Yeah, she voiced Tommy Pickles. She was in um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh-huh. She's Dottie. She's Dottie. Uh-huh. And then she sang the theme song at the dance in Better Off Dead, which I highly recommend you guys search, so Better Off Dead. way better film. A way better film. <laughs> so and much better film. talk about a good concert performance. <laughs> I actually play that sometimes just because it's beautiful. But anyway, so she has this really pointless, it's sort of like Ed Bagley Jr.'s role, which is just supplying information, but then she tags but along. she sticks around for like three scenes and doesn't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. And <laughs> she's, she's like there. She's an amazing singer. And then we never see her again. We never see her again. She's an amazing singer. And she said when she was filming that she was really bummed to watch Diane Lane like lip syncing and then she didn't have a chance to sing, which I agree. Always let E.G. Daly sing because she's really good. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so my final thoughts. Well. So I haven't convinced you. No, they, you've convinced Dave to hate this movie even more <laughs> than he did when we started. I don't I'm think it was you, though. Yeah. Gonna watch this movie again? No, probably not. <laughs> Sandra, do you have anything to plug? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I'm on Twitter at Lady Friends. Um, and I mean, I'm not working. I'm working, but I'm not working on anything I can <laughs> announce yet because I'm really not working on very much. Um, I don't know. What do you guys usually plug? <laughs> I don't know. We're trying to get better about it. Yeah. We got to plug our Patreon. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Everybody should go to our Patreon. It's a uh, gamefully underscore unemployed. No, no. the Patreon no, is just it's gamefully page- unemployed. Patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. Yeah. That's G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y. Yeah. I'm on that sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 yeah we have a yeah, lot, we, of, we we do, have a lot uh, of people playing uh, video games and we board do games. We do live streams of board games and video games. Podcasts. So podcasts. Yeah. All sorts uh, of shit. Yeah. It's got to get uh, Adam on there. Yes, you guys, do? you've shamed I, me. I'll do it soon. I just, I, I well, keep, you were gonna do it. You were gonna got, do it. Then we had to cancel because everybody got the yeah. fucking plague. Yeah. This oh week. my god! So you got that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex was is apparently still sick. Yeah. I think I got it from going into a daycare. I had to pick up my yeah, friends. Get people and, not yeah. vaccinating their goddamn kids. Go I had the shot yep. and it still <laughs> took me down. It was awful. Fucking bastard ass kids <laughs> running kids. around with. Plague. Oh, that's something I'll plug. If you go back <laughs> in my plague? timeline. <laughs> the plague. Wow. If you go I back. I like on, what it did to Europe. <laughs> really you, thinned it out. If you go on my uh, timeline, just 
a couple weeks ago on uh, Twitter slash Lady Friends. I give very detailed instructions on how to get Tamiflu for $57. I saw that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You put it in Slack, wow. too, I think. I did, because yeah. uh, it's really, a coupon. really want to educate people on how I to do, get Tamiflu. I was like, it's Tamiflu? expensive as shit. It's so expensive. If you don't have any coupon, it's 108 bucks. Jesus. Coupon. It's out of control. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thanks for coming on with this yeah. movie. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was good to see you. Thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll yeah. have to have you on again to talk about something else. Bring you should just do Streets of, of Fire for the third time. Do you right, want me yeah. to? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am prepared. Can we take it from the top? I forgot. Mm. To start <laughs> oh, did you keep the lens cap on? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's uh, Well, all right. Thank there. you so much for having me. It was yeah, a blast. Thanks for thanks Say goodbye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.